Okay, hey, this is Brent Leary, and I am chilling at the Lost Springs Resort here in Austin, Texas, for the, I believe this is number five for Zoho Day. I remember the first one where it was like uh, me, Raju, Schritter, and maybe two or three other people. <laughs> <laughs> this year is a slightly bigger thing. It's slightly about bigger. Slightly 64, bigger, yeah. 65 <laughs> analysts here, and it's at this really nice resort. And once again, I'm glad to be sitting with Schritter, the CEO and co-founder of uh, Zoho. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for being here, Brent. It's appreciated. <laughs> Just uh, riffing off of five years of the fifth one of these, the first one, a handful of folks, to this year. I mean, what do you think about how it's grown over the last couple of years? Yeah, it's definitely grown. We have learned a lot of new things that, frankly, I didn't know and none of us knew. And in this five years of interactions and all of this analysis, critical feedback, which is very important to us, you've learned and we have evolved and we have adjusted our how we uh, position ourselves, how we see the marketplace, how the marketplace sees us, a lot of things. Have, and so this has been tremendously helpful to us. And just as this event has grown over that time, I mean, Zoho, the company itself has grown tremendously. Yes. When you think about the last five years, what has that meant to Zoho, the company? Yeah, it's we have seen tremendous growth. I think we showed like uh, with six, seven years, about tenfold, almost tenfold growth we have seen. And that I think is continuing now. The growth rate is still accelerating now. So that is all, a lot of it is because we we now have a ability to tell the story as well as we are able to engineer the product. Mm. We have been a good engineering company, but we have not been able to tell the story before. Now I think this these events have helped us refine our messaging, help tell the story and connect with people. So what is the big part of the story that may have been missing a couple of years ago that you can now tell and feel good about this year? Yeah, it's, I think a lot of it is our culture as a company, how unique it is, how differentiated it is. A lot of this, we never, I mean, we, we're kind of shy talking about ourselves <laughs> and uh, as a company. It's I'm gonna say you are very shy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's always been true and we would, I mean, our, even my attitude, build a great product, throw it over the fence, people would just buy it if they want it. So, and, and that was the attitude. And this, these things have helped us realize there's more to it than that. Mm. Because ultimately, I mean, this is a engineers, every engineer has to learn this. Computers don't buy products, people do. <laughs> and people have a reason, need a reason to buy. Right. And why do they have, and they have to have a feel, a connection with who is supplying technology to them. It's not just only the technology, it's also the connection, human connection. That's the biggest thing that has changed in the last five years. Now, uh, your evangelist, Raju Vigesna, he said a little earlier today that Zoho is not just a software company, it's a technology company. Talk about that, what does that mean? Yeah, so what Raju means is that this is a company that goes deep down into every aspect of what we do, and that is, the depth of technology in terms of the software itself, the hardware underlying it, the networks that are powering or the data, data centers, all of it. Also, in a deeper way, for example, we, we talked about construction, we talked about education, we talked about healthcare. So we think holistically about all these problems, not merely just fragmented pieces, but we think holistically 
how are we good, going to get employees, train employees. Mm -hmm. So that is our Zoom University program. How do our facilities look and, and how, how, how do they provide a nice home for employees? So those, all of these aspects we think about. So the other thing that caught my, you always come up with really good phrases too, like uh, last time we talked, you talked about, you know, how the capital is within the culture of the organization, and not the finances. Exactly. And that really resonated with mm -hmm. not only me, but a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But this year you talked about how you don't want to be, uh, uh, I want to make sure I get the phrase right, you don't want to be a cost. Costly input a costly to our customers. input to your customers. Yes. Talk yeah. about what that means. What that means. So. I this this actually came from my observation of the farm problem, the farmer problem. Farmers face a problem where their inputs are getting costlier and costlier, mm -hmm. while their output is getting commoditized. So they're squeezed, literally squeezed. In fact, a lot of them have negative margin in their business now, more and more. Which is why the farm bankruptcies and a lot of the crisis, rural crisis, agrarian crisis, which is pretty much worldwide. This is in the U.S. This is in India. Everywhere it's happening. And I, I spent time in rural India, and so I was able to observe these things firsthand. Then I realized, for a lot of businesses, technology is a critical cost, and we don't want to be a costly input to our customers. Mm. Because then our customers cannot survive in business very long term if they have very costly inputs from us. And so the only way to be sustainable, this relationship to be sustainable is, we become an affordable input to them. So we, and and. This provides a nice framework to think about our business, how we structure ourselves. We, I talked about deep technology. That is driven by the fact that we have to avoid costly inputs ourselves, mm -hmm. so that we have, don't become a costly input to our customer. Mm -hmm. So the other thing that really resonated was not only that you don't want to be a costly input for your customers, but you want the cloud to be more than just some a great technology. You want it to, and I've never heard anybody talk about it like this, to, the cloud to provide dignity yeah and uh, give more opportunity correct talk about that a little yeah. bit so this comes from today with technology we are able to work from anywhere you know we just spoke before you said you work from home right from right. atlanta I yes and in, in a suburb of atlanta right i actually work from now mostly from rural india now and uh, raju works in austin and yet we are all connected now, mm -hmm. like never before. I mean, I talked to Raju from rural India at least once a week, mm. and on video, a couple of times a week. <laughs> so it's like I actually, even though I probably haven't, didn't meet him for at least six months, it's like we never actually, you know, left each other. I mean, we are, we are still <laughs> always connected, right? Right. That's what technology has enabled now, and this actually has startling implications for where the jobs ought to be and what the incomes can be and, and the identity that people, in other words, if someone is a, a rural citizen and they have skills, now they can actually have a job that pays a meaningful wage that affords them a dignified life and they are also be and could be change leaders in their communities. Mm. And all this is possible today that was never before possible. So. To me, if the cloud has a broader purpose, a bigger purpose, not just, cloud is not just a delivery medium for software. Right. Cloud has a bigger purpose. It enables us to work from anywhere. And that liberates us from constraints of, for example, expensive real estate trap. Mm. That so many young people are trapped, so many people are trapped in this mortgage, heavy, big mortgages in big cities. And along with it, a lot of 
you know, one of the reasons entrepreneurship has fallen in the last 20 years in this country is because too many people are trapped in heavy mortgage debt that they can, and, and student loans, all of these issues. So they don't have the freedom to experiment, freedom to go out on their own. So all these things, the cloud can be actually a transformational medium for it. And the fact that we can work from anywhere, and that is critical. So I see this almost now in uh, uh, terms that are not just purely technology, but it also its sociological implications. Mm. That it can revitalize rural areas. It can confer, uh, it can retain talent. It can even attract talent back into rural areas because rural areas have suffered a brain drain, talent drain for a long time. Talented people simply just up and leave. Mm. But now people can stay in their hometowns, maybe come back to their hometowns and help revitalize those areas. Mm. So all these are possible today. And it's not just education you talk about too in terms of you know, lowering that cost. Yes. You do talk about education, but you, even when you start looking at you know, the data centers and being able to be more efficient in the way that right. you use power in that role of it, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So our own, one of the biggest cost items would be running the data centers right. to deliver our services, our applications to customers. And one crucial ingredient to our data center cost is power. The power consumed by all the servers and the switches and all of that. And it turns out there are many, many ways now to reduce the power and also provide the power in a renewable power like uh, hydroelectric power or solar power, all of these. So that's so we look for data centers with that. So we now built a solar plant to power our data centers in India. We have hydropower powering our data centers in the US. Mm. So these are some of the areas that we pay attention to. We also are looking for ways next generation to reduce the amount of power to serve a particular customer in the data center. This translates both into lower overall you know, power consumption and it also lowers the cost of service delivery long term. So these are things that we look at. One other stat that came out, I forget who said it, it might have been you, it might have been Raju, or some, somewhere along the line. Uh, $10 million if you're running Zia on AWS. Yes. Talk about the the, uh, the impact of not running on AWS yeah. has for Zoho and Zoho customers. First, you look at our overall search infrastructure that is searching across a very wide span of applications. It's sucking in all of the data of that customer in Zoho, indexing it, cross-correlating it, and cross-indexing it. All of this has to happen. Your CRM data, your financial data, your document data, your email data, your chat data, all of it has to be cross-referenced, correlated, all of that. Mm. This takes massive amounts of compute and storage, all of these, these indexes, all that. And public cloud infrastructure, we did evaluate for these. It cost us a lot more to do this than what it costs ourselves. And that is, and this is savings that, because of the amount of search traffic we get, it would add up significantly. We would have to increase the prices substantially on our customers. Right. So doing it ourselves saves us a lot of money on this. One last thing, this area, now I think this was, this subject today got a lot of people's attention. Uh, and this whole idea of surveillance companies and surveilled data. Uh, a lot of people probably don't know what that means, so maybe you could just define what that means. <laughs> <laughs> today, regrettably, Many companies now, the consumer internet companies, 
have become de facto surveillance companies. Mm. I mean, it's Google and Facebook, all of them. Whether they like to be called that or not, they have become surveillance companies. And exactly the same way that citizens would react with horror about government surveillance, we also have to react with horror about corporate surveillance. It's wrong, and it's wrong done by the government, it's wrong when private companies do it. And it's done with the purpose of marketing, all of that. But in fact, there was practice fusion news uh, yesterday where this company was fined, what, 140 million something because they were actually in the free software for EHR, mm -hmm. electronic health records. They were showing uh, uh, the doctors, to, they were prompting the doctors to prescribe more opioids. Mm. And they had a secret arrangement with a pharma company to enable this. Mm. To, to increase the sales of this, oh, those uh, painkiller prescriptions and and the feds caught them and, and a severe fine was imposed on them. This just shows the, the negative consequence of that type of a business model where you are sharing data with so you're basically it's, it's the data and advertising model like Google yes you know they make a lot of their money from right. ads, ads and, 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 and this creates yeah. really bad incentives. On, and, and there is always somebody with a tempting offer for how we want to use the data. Mm -hmm. And this, this example, this uh, pharma example shows. Mm -hmm. And it's very valuable to them, quote unquote. Right. But it has a huge cost to society and to people who are prescribed, you know, uh, useless painkillers for things they didn't need. So this is why I think it's important. And, and at the same time, I would say this. My phone knows everything I do, essentially, <laughs> today. It has to, to be a useful smartphone. Right. To be a smartphone, it has to know everything about me. So I'm not worried that it knows what I do. I'm only worried about what, where the data will go, what the companies that have access to the data do with the data. And how they use it. How they use it. Or how they sell it so, off to a third party. Exactly. So this is where I think I draw this thing, right? To be a smartphone, it needs to know a lot about me. But I don't want everyone to know everything about me, my whereabouts, where I am, what I'm doing right now, all of these things. Right. It doesn't have to be broadcast to the entire world. In effect, that's, the, that's what has happened to a lot of us where our, you know, the surveillance companies are taking this data mm -hmm. and repackaging it and selling it to various parties that without the customer's knowledge, you don't even know how many places this data is going to today. And so I do believe that we are going to have a, uh, not only this is, in fact, I give this analogy. It's exactly like how smoking was 40, 50 years ago. That if we had, you know, we are sitting here in this fireside chat, 40, 50 years ago, one of us would be smoking. Yeah. It was very common. Right on TV. In this, right on TV. <laughs> and in this room, probably like everybody yeah, five be people would be smoking. <laughs> right. And it would be so commonplace that we all accepted it. Right. Today, we actually don't accept it. Nobody smokes inside buildings. And we even have laws against it now. That every, every closed place, you know, offices, hotels, everything should be smoke-free, no right. smoking zone. And this happened both by social awareness of the harms of second-hand smoke and legislation. Mm -hmm. I believe the same thing is happening. Now, the awareness is spreading that these privacy violations is happening, surveillance is wrong, and now legislation is following. Slowly, GDPR is an example. California passed a law. I do believe stringent regulations are necessary here. And I also believe that this won't impede technology progress, this won't uh, prevent progress. It would just guide it in the right direction where we draw boundaries, ethical boundaries. Mm -hmm. What can a software engineer do with the data? 
Mm. I mean, data is now a valuable thing right. about a person. One and so software engineers have to handle it the same way a doctor handles a patient. Medical records, yeah. Medical records are a patient. Yeah. I mean, there are ethical boundaries placed on doctors. We need ethical boundaries on software engineers. Well, you know what? And it, there was a question because you went over this today. There was a question, and I, can, I think it's a pretty you know a valid question: is what are you, what is uh, the industry? Everybody in the industry pretty much is doing this. Uh, not, I don't know if that's purposely or not. There, it's just the way it's gone in the industry. But what does that cost Zoho in terms of? Is there lost insights? Is there lost revenue? What does that cost you? And really? why do you think it's the benefit of doing what you're doing yeah. outweighs that? Yeah. So, for example, we eliminated all trackers, third-party trackers from our site. And even our own marketing was apprehensive at first that mm. we're going to lose certain insights. And I told them that's okay. Mm. We'll build the tools in-house and we never share the data with anybody. So that's uh, given. So that was what I said and that did have an initial cost to it. And, and we certain kinds of ROI, we cannot compute for certain campaigns, we do all of that. And that's an acceptable price to pay, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Longer term, the trust we earn with the customer, the, that is far better than any short-term things we forego. In reality, you know, we, we have been growing consistently. And the growth has actually accelerated in the last couple of years as we have taken a stronger privacy stance. Mm -hmm. So I would say maybe it has even helped the business in mm -hmm. a way. Even though that was not why we did it, because we were willing to pay the price. Right. In fact, we were willing to suffer a reduction in traffic. If that was going to happen, I said that's okay. So be it. Because we, there is, you know, life is short. How badly do you want to be successful when you don't feel good and you don't feel, uh, you know, you, you, you cannot sleep well at night. That's how I put it. <laughs> this has been really great. Uh, one last question. What are we going to be talking about next year with Zoho Day? Yeah, I hope actually to have some big announcements on some technologies I am personally working on. That would be one of my, I hope so, because actually as an engineer, I always joke that engineers should never promise when they will release products because we always, always underestimate the time involved. So I am violating my main rule. I hope <laughs> to have some good announcements about what I have been personally working on, including what I've been doing in the rural projects I'm doing. Yeah. I, I want to. I can't wait to see how that shapes up because so, I, it's to me. I hope it shapes up well because in, <laughs> with engineers, you want to have enough humility to acknowledge that nothing goes as planned, <laughs> and everything has setbacks. You always run into that bug that takes three months to fix. This is actually the secret world of software where it's always you are always perpetually. You want to be very humble as an engineer because the world will humble you every time. So and that is that is why I. <laughs> I'm very, I know. I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for this to work because if it works in in that rural parts right. of the world, there are other areas that are underserved and underutilized. Right. And I it's think that would be a yeah. great way. Yeah. To yeah. I hope it works out, and I'll I'll have something to report by next year. So, <laughs> absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Brett.